Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers to see the stickers, postcards, and sticker sheets we have for sale. And tell your friends about us. So this week, we're back to talk about the octopus again, which I'm very excited about. Last week, we talked about their life cycle and some facts about the octopus body. Yeah, and so this week, we're going to focus a bit more on octopus behavior and talk about all their fun, like, I really like to call them like magic tricks. So basically how they camouflage, the tools they use, and their really amazing like plethora of defenses. Um, there's just a ton to talk about today. Yeah, I think this is going to be a long episode and I'm really excited, but I'm glad that we got the background in part one to kind of understand more about the octopus. And so if you haven't listened to that, go take a listen and come back and meet us here to get into it. Yeah, I'm really glad we didn't try and like do all of this in one episode because there is like even at the end of this episode, like I do not feel like I have touched on even like 60% of what we could probably talk about with octopus because you can just go on and on with some of the zaniest stories you'll find about wildlife ever. It just takes a quick like Google of octopus escape artist and you find all of these absolutely wild stories. Yeah, definitely. I feel like we could do a whole octopus podcast. I'm sure people Honestly, have. probably. I bet there is one. Yeah. Well, maybe we will have to revisit them one day in the future. I do love yeah. them. <laughs> I was like telling my friends before the ep- the first part came out, like, you have to listen because the stuff about their life cycle is just crazy. And did you know that they only live for like one or two years and they get like octopus dementia? <laughs> It's so amazing. And like, I feel like it's such a like emotional life cycle. Like for the mother octopus, she cares for the young until they've hatched and then she'll die. She'll just like disintegrate. It was a full like emotional roller coaster episode. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know, this is going to be much like more like happy episode. Also, there's like no conservation stuff. I hope that's okay. Mostly because we have so much to talk about already. And To be honest, conservation topics did not arise very much in the research. I don't know if that's because everyone's so distracted by like everything else we can talk about with octopus, but it actually seems like in a general, like very like broad paintbrush here, like they seem to be doing kind of okay as far as like ocean creatures go. So take that with a grain of salt, but like that's why we're not going to be talking about conservation that much this episode. I hope that's okay. Anyway, so yeah, so we we had our episode last week. And so I want to start off this week talking about octopus personalities. So octopus really have been found to have individual personalities. Like some are a little bit more shy. Some are really curious and, you know, will come up to either their like aquarium caretakers or scuba divers and they'll check them out. You know, some are a bit more aggressive And I really don't want to dismiss these stories as like anthropomorphizing, which means sort of inaccurately attributing human characteristics on animals. 
which is normally thought of as like a big scientific no-no. But in this case, I think it's really fair to say that individual animals have distinct personalities that are quite different from one another. And to recognize these differences is interesting scientifically because it can tell us about how cognition develops in animals who are really very different from us. So I think the fact that all these octopus have very individual personalities is something definitely to that's worthwhile as like a research topic in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, I feel like anyone who's had like a cat or a dog or a horse or something knows that that animals can definitely have different personalities. Yeah, absolutely. It's personality exists in so many life forms that aren't us. And it's really nice to see more scientists like accepting that and talking about it more openly. And so I guess the sort of inevitable question about octopuses is about their intelligence and yeah, could you could you talk a bit about that? Like their intelligence, their memory, that kind of thing? Yeah, so testing intelligence is really hard to do with animals. And the more we learn about animal intelligence, the harder it is to define what exactly intelligence means. It doesn't make sense for a lot of animals to simply base their intelligence on how big their brain is compared to their body size, which is how kind of historically we've done it. In the case of octopus, their brain just isn't that big for their size, but they also don't only have neurons in their brain. They have these nerves in all of their arms. So in some places you might see that you might see it written that octopus have like eight brains because they're counting like the eight arms or I guess nine brains. They'll count like the eight arms and then the like brain inside the head part, which isn't exactly right. But it does sort of like emphasize the fact that they just have like so much Uh, neural activity going on in their entire body. The common octopus actually has 500 million neurons in its body. And while this isn't anywhere near the same as humans who have nearly 100 billion, that is about the same amount that like dogs have. And it's certainly more than other invertebrates. So it is a very impressive number for something that is a mollusk. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In terms of their memory, octopus have at least a good enough memory to recognize human faces, which is, you know, even better than me, depending on the day. Sometimes I'm not great with faces. Like one study tested this whole facial recognition thing at an aquarium. And what they did was they sort of played this like good cop, bad cop kind of game with a whole bunch of octopus. So they'd have two staff members who wore the same uniform and they would come to visit each test octopus. And one of the staff would always give the octopus like a reward, like food. And then the other would poke it with this like pipe stick thing covered in fake grass. So it was like all pokey and uncomfortable. And eventually, even if the staff who annoyed the octopus like just appeared without the pokey stick, the octopus would show defensive behavior. So clearly it was recognizing that person rather than like just what they were doing. It's really cool. They're also really good at finding like their way back to their den. So they have just overall really good like spatial memory, really good visual memory. And yeah, that's really cool about them. But also in terms of like their intelligence overall, there really seems to be no end to absolutely wild octopus stories from aquariums. So some aquarium employees have really sworn that octopus know when they're being watched and will specifically get up to no good when you aren't watching, which is hilarious to me. 
Octopus will also play with objects that they've clearly determined not to be food. And the reason this is interesting is you sort of expect animals to only manipulate objects that could be maybe eaten. And once they've decided it's not something they want to eat, they would discard it. But Jennifer Mather, who is an octopus expert, who happens to actually live and do her research at the University of Lethbridge in Alberta, which is hilarious to me because that is like the furthest possible place from an ocean in my mind. Yeah. But she's like, She's a psychologist who works on octopus intelligence and behavior and so many of the octopus papers out there. Uh, She's either like one of the authors or like she's cited. Um, She's kind of a big deal in the octopus world. Anyway, she said that she found a number of octopus that she'd worked with who really seemed to enjoy playing catch with this little pill bottle by bouncing it off the tank water jet. So they'll like play this little game with the water jet and this thing that they've clearly determined not to be food. So they can be very exploratory and tactile. Another one of these stories is in Germany's Sea Star Aquarium, they had this incident where suddenly the entire aquarium's electrical system shorted out overnight. And then so they come in the next morning, they're like, okay, lights are off. This is really weird. They fix the problem. But then the next day, it was shorted out again. And it happened the next day after that. And so eventually the staff decided to pull like this Nancy Drew style stakeout at the aquarium. And they're watching for the culprit. And they realize that it's their own little octopus, Otto, who was spraying his water at this light above his tank. And so what had happened was they had trained Otto to spit water at visitors, but he'd found another fun way to use the trick. And I really like this quote from the director of this aquarium, Elfride Coomer, in her interview with NPR about the topic. So they gave Otto a chessboard as part of his enrichment after this event. And this is just really cute. She says, he always adapts to his surroundings, but as soon as a chessboard is in there. He's just black, white, black, white. Like, I assume she means changing colors. So that keeps him entertained for quite a while. But then he was like, no, I don't want the chessboard. And he just threw it out of the aquarium. So clearly, these octopus have a lot of personality and a lot of sass. Wow. Yeah, I could listen to octopus stories forever. Honestly, like, it's funny because I put in the ones I found, but like, I, I could could absolutely have found more. I highly recommend just like reading octopus stories. Yeah, there's yet another story from this aquarium where the fish from this one tank kept mysteriously going missing. So eventually staff set up a camera and they of course found that this octopus had learned not just how to open its tank and crawl across the ground, open the other fish tank and eat the fish, but it also knew to like close the tank behind it So it was basically like hiding the evidence that it had moved at all. Wow. Yeah. Smarter than me. Definitely smarter than me. (laughs) Yeah. Like there's even like a bunch of studies on like how they've figured out how to like open pill bottles that that are like the child safety lock bottles and like they can figure out how to open those. It's so wild. I also read a couple of Wired magazine articles on octopus intelligence. So I have a couple of quotes I wanted to read here from those articles. So the first one is about octopus dreams. So research found that octopus cognition may even be complex enough that they dream. And this is shown by octopus appearing to be in this sleeping state and displaying really wild colors. So here's a quote from the Wired magazine article about octopus by Sarah Harrison. Quote, when they're awake, octopus change color during courtship when they're fighting over territory. 
and when they're hiding from predators. Those changes are always in response to what's going on around them. So they say what they observed with sleep is that this changing color is not related to what is happening in the same moment in the environment. Instead, the octopus were changing into fantastical patterns that had nothing to do with real-world stimuli, like the proximity of other creatures or a need to camouflage themselves. Because motor neurons in the brain control those skin pattern changes, uh, one of the researchers said, it's possible that these patterns were emerging because the octopus were dreaming. That's so cool. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Like, wow. isn't that amazing? Like, we know so little about sleep. It's so exciting when we, like, learn about sleep in other animals. Now I want to write a story about, like, someone who lights up so many different colors while they sleep. Oh, like, while I they love dream. that. Yeah. I want, like, a children's story about, like, a sleepy octopus who, like, changes into rainbow colors and oh. is wearing, like, a little, like, night hat and, like, a little, like, cute little blankets and just, like turns all these like rainbow colors oh, so cool there's just so much story potential there okay and then there's this second article by david dubelay called how the freaky octopus can help us understand the human brain also from wired and he talks about octopus using tools so he says quote Researchers have observed octopuses off the coast of Indonesia collecting and awkwardly carrying coconut shell halves along the sandy seafloor. For a shelter on the go, they whip out the two pieces of the shell, swoop inside, and snap the pair shut. Quote, that's a spectacular example because it really does suggest foresight, end quote, says Jennifer Mather, who studies animal behavior at Canada's University of Lethbridge. Quote, in terms of cognition, that's pretty good. So Jennifer Mather, again, being referenced in this article, but uh, I think that's a really cool one as well. Like they just like pop on into their little coconut shell house. Yeah, it really shows that they're that they're thinking ahead. And I think you maybe mentioned that last time, but I thought you meant more that they just like put like just one half of the shell over themselves or something like like a crab would do I think or something. Sometimes we'll do that. But then like they're also just like collecting. Yeah, these coconut shells. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, a lot of times we judge animal intelligence by whether they're able to use tools, so they're really ticking all the boxes. Totally, and this is not the only case where they use tools. Like, octopus won't necessarily look for the ideal, like the perfect den, because they have the know-how to clean a den and make it fit their needs. So they'll like get rid of all the garbage in there. They'll like get rid of some sand, make it nice and cozy. And I really want to see like, you know, like a little octopus dressed up in one of those Beatrix Potter character outfits with like the little apron and the broom. And I just like to imagine it cleaning out its den because it's so cute. But they'll also even grab rocks and then they'll stack them and create a little wall so that when they squeeze into their den, they can like close it off with one last rock. And this is really more than an endearing trait. Like, again, Jennifer Mather had mentioned that she really points to this as a tool. Like, they are using these rocks to build a structure to keep them safe. And that is arguably a tool. Another example of tool use is with the blanket octopus. So this octopus is immune to the sting of the Portuguese man-o'-war, which kind of looks like a jellyfish, but apparently isn't technically jellyfish. But imagine a jellyfish with a really bad sting. This octopus 
will rip off the man of war tentacles and then it will like carry it around and use it as defense and like to help it get prey that is like stealing a taser off of an enemy (laughs) and using it on others (laughs) that is exactly what it is like i like can you imagine this like eight-armed like thingy like floating over and then just like grabbing these stinging tentacles and then like going and attacking its prey like I'm sorry that's just like such a such an image in my mind like I can see this video game character now just like wielding these ropes of stinging devices yeah this would make a very good video game it's very hardcore I want like an octopus sidekick for sure yeah oh definitely What other defenses do they have? Yeah, oh my goodness. So octopus have a wild number of adaptations to help them camouflage and mislead and frighten away predators. One of the simplest of those being that around their eyes is something called an eye bar. So pupils and eyes are a really big giveaway if you're trying to hide because if you like, it's it's easy to see like a head and eyes because that's like such an identifiable part of an organism. So what they will do is they will have these like dark eye bars that appear on the skin around the rectangular octopus pupil and that sort of disguises and blurs the shape of the eye. And scientifically how are they able to change the color of their skin? This is like I think one of my favorite scientific processes to describe. I love talking about this so much. So Octopus and other cephalopods are able to change the color and patterns of their skin in less than 100 milliseconds, and they do so using pigment cells in the skin called chromatophores. So the way these chromatophores work is they're a bit like having little pouches of pigment in the skin. There's three colors of pigment in the pouches. There's yellow, orange, and brown. So there's a whole bunch of little yellow spots. There's a whole bunch of orange orange spots. And then there's a whole bunch of brown spots. They're all separate. Each of these pouches is surrounded by a muscle that can expand or contract based on signals that come from a nerve that connects to each chromatophore cell. So if the muscles expand, more of the color of that pouch appears. So think of like a little window appearing in the upper layer of the octopus's skin that reveals a color behind it. All these chromatophore cells are very, very small, but if you put them all together, the octopus sort of creates this pointillism painting all across their skin. Another sort of metaphor for how this works is if you think about a printer, it deposits little spots of red and yellow, magenta and black. And if you look at a printed color image under a microscope or you just look at it really closely, you would probably see those little color dots. But when you look at it from a distance, it sort of forms this big colored image. So the skin of an octopus is a bit like that. Chromatophores aren't the only pigment cells in the skin. So when the chromatophores are contracted, you might notice this iridescent sheen that reflects back the colors of the environment towards the observer. And these are green iridophores and lucifores, which are cells that appear around the chromatophores. And they don't just change the color of their skin, they can also change the texture. So octopus skin is extremely flexible and muscular, and as a result, octopus can create large bumps and ridges, as well as like ripples and folds in their skin to imitate all kinds of organisms and backgrounds and textures in their habitat. That's amazing. And I feel like you explained it very well. That made a lot of sense to me. But yeah, I 
I don't know, watching videos of octopus camouflaging is just like so, so cool. It's amazing what they can do. It really is. Because octopus are basically just like a living piece of stretchy rubber, they can also like inflate themselves to look really big. They can also move their tentacles and flatten their body to look like a fish. And octopus will even try and make their arms look like seaweed by flaring them up and just sort of like imitating seaweed movement. You can't see me right now, but I'm doing the movement. I look like (laughs) one of those like used car sales, like flappy inflatable men with the like crazy ribbon arms. I just want to be made out of rubber. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's just like Elastigirl vibes. Yeah. There's a few ways that octopus will use their disguises. They'll either try to like hide entirely, like just like disappear into the landscape. They'll also try to disrupt the shape of their body. Like they'll try and look less like an octopus or they can use their color and texture to alarm prey and predators or to communicate in some way with other octopus. Let's first discuss how they hide in their surroundings. So depending on the species, They could camouflage to look like sand or a rock by kind of having a bubbly texture on their skin and creating this brown speckled appearance. If there's a lot of brown algae around, they'll become the color of brown algae. Some species will try to look like a sponge in the landscape by clumping themselves up into sort of a tube shape and then turning mottled brown. Really, there's just so many videos online. Like, I, this is one of those times where I really wish we were um, like a YouTube channel or something and I could show clips of what this looks like because I genuinely sometimes can't find the octopus in the picture until it like appears and like swims away. Really, I could go on and on about what these octopus can look like. It really feels like in the videos, they just are whipping off this like Harry Potter invisibility cloak. It's incredible. But yeah, going back to their shape disruption thing. So some octopus, they just don't want to be a recognizable octopus shape because that's a good indicator to predators that like, hey, there's like a delicious snack there. So they will disguise their shape by having these dark bars of color on their body or around their eyes. And that interrupts the shape as a whole and kind of disguises them. So even though, you know, they're still visible, they're less clearly what they are. I know that's kind of a weird way of saying it, but they're just trying to be ambiguous. The other reason octopus manipulate their appearance is to alarm predators or prey in some way. So some octopus will flash or turn into this sort of high contrast color scheme, which can indicate that they are foul tasting or toxic. They will also do something called a passing cloud display which is where they have this blob of dark color that appears to pass across their body and it kind of looks like a passing cloud overhead. One way that they use this display is to quickly flash the pattern near prey. And because it looks like something is moving, it will frighten hiding prey into moving and revealing their location more easily so the octopus can reach out and grab the fleeing prey. So it's this kind of like fake out thing. So cool. It's like being a green screen or something. (laughs) It's amazing. That's totally what it is. They can just like make all of these diverse patterns. Like imagine if you could just like change your hair like orange. There's also, okay, so this is evidenced like in the most extreme case with the mimic octopus. So this octopus lives in the oceans around in Indonesia and it can mimic up to 13 
like local species. So one of their favorites to mimic is the flounder, which is this flatfish with eyes on the top of its body. And it's like very round and brown. So this octopus is normally like this white color with brown red stripes all over its body. And it will turn into the most amazing colors. So for the flounder impression, it'll become this sort of speckled brown, just like the flounder, and it will flatten its arms and body and become kind of a disc shape. And it will undulate across the ocean floor at a similar speed and with a similar swimming shape as this fish. And then when they aren't moving, the mimic octopus will assume a body posture and color to mimic tube worms, sponges, and something called colonial tunicates, which I can really only describe as like ocean lichen. It just looks kind of weird and lichen-y when I googled images of it. According to one study by Hanlon, Forsyth, and Jones Child in 1999, the mimic octopus they were studying changed their disguise nearly three times a minute on average while they were looking for food. That's, that's like insanely quickly. Yeah. So these octopus are also apparently really good at just disappearing into sand where no hole previously was. So they're extraordinary even in the octopus realm for being able to rapidly burrow and find a little den for themselves. That's amazing. I want to be an octopus so bad. I feel like my reactions are just getting, they're just the same. It's just like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't really know what else to say about this. Yeah. (laughs) Among the research I was doing, I sort of kept coming across this discussion point around octopuses and really cephalopods in general, which is whether despite all of their amazing camouflaging abilities, they can perceive color. So for a while, it was thought that they were colorblind because they don't have the structures in their eye that we have to be able to see color. But if that's the case, then why are they so accurate in disguising themselves? Like, how can they become the perfect color of sand to just disappear? So while we don't have a super concrete answer for this, there's a couple of theories. The first is that they do have light sensing receptors in their skin. So down their arms and over the rest of their body. So maybe they're seeing not just with their eyes, but with their like whole body. But these are mostly for sensing light. So we don't really know if that would help them detect color. The more likely thing is that they are making use of this phenomenon in light called chromatic aberration. So this is a fancy word that basically describes what happens when you shine light through a prism. That white light breaks into sort of a hazy rainbow. And sometimes it can happen like in pictures. If you have sort of a lens flare, you might get this sort of rainbow look. And actually, you can try this right now. If you unfocus your eyes and stare at an object, you might detect a slight hazy rainbow halo around those objects. It's hard to do, though. It's hard to detect because most of the time our vision tries to eliminate chromatic aberration. But an octopus's pupils are actually built in a way that they seem to be maximizing this effect. Essentially, they may be able to detect color by looking at those chromatic aberration changes as they change their focus. Because their eyes kind of work like a camera lens, like they can adjust their focus. It's very 
that's a whole other thing that I don't have time to get into, but they can do that. It's all just very strange, and even I don't really understand it, but this is all according to Timothy Pierce, the mollusk man at the Carnegie Museum of Natural History. And Timothy Pierce just, he makes such excellent mollusk puns that I have to just believe what he's saying. He makes those really great TikToks. I feel like if you're in the animal TikTok or like Instagram reels realm, you've probably encountered Timothy Pierce. He'll be like, hi, I'm Timothy Pierce and I love snails. And then he'll talk about them for a bit. He's great. Speaking of the eyes, two more fun facts about octopus eyes. So they can move independently of one another and octopus have a dominant eye, kind of like how we have a dominant hand. Just an endless stream of amazing stories and facts. It really is never ending. And I was reading like books on this and I had to be like, I have to skip this chapter. (laughs) I can't get into that right now. And so they can also ink, right? That's another defense that they have. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So inking is one of those things that I I feel like we kind of take for granted because we learn that octopus ink kind of when we're kids. But how nuts is it that an animal will just spray out this cloud of highly pigmented ink to disguise its escape like they truly are these ocean magicians? So ink is formed in a gland in their body and it's sent towards the rectum and their funnel. So the funnel is the same place that they also poop out of, fun fact. So the ink on its way to the funnel will also pass through an area where the ink will be mixed with different amounts of mucus that will change the consistency of the ink. So it'll sort of alter exactly how they're able to use that ink. Usually sort of this defense situation will look a little bit like this. So an octopus will be approached by a predator or maybe even like a scuba diver and the octopus will sort of blanch or turn white. It'll spray out its ink through the funnel and often that ink will be kind of the same size and shape as the octopus. So part of the whole ink thing is that it's supposed to look like an octopus, not just obscure it. And that gives time for the octopus to swim away. And then in some cases, they'll also find a spot to camouflage and hide kind of nearby. So instead of just like running all the way, they'll just sort of like duck and cover. To make matters more confusing and kind of horrible for the predator, this ink is an irritant. So ink contains thyrosinase, which is a chemical that can impair the predator's sense of smell and irritate the eyes. And for fish, the mucousy ink can also clog their gills in their mouth. So... It's really like it almost feels like there's no end to tools and defenses that these cephalopods have acquired over evolutionary time. And I think it's really cool that like all of this sort of arose because they ended up losing their mollusk shell like they needed to find new defenses and all of these new defenses arose Like, it's not just one or two defenses. It's like this never ending cascade. Yeah, they just have the entire toolkit. It's amazing. Also, another fun fact about cephalopod ink, it was probably one of the first inks used for writing, and sepia ink is named after the cuttlefish genus sepia. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. So cool. And so, speaking of predators, what is actually eating octopus? Besides me, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, humans are not the only creatures that find octopus really delicious. So small octopus are eaten by like fish and crabs. And even big octopus have to worry about like barracudas and other large fish. In the North Pacific, large octopus can be predated upon by wolf eels, 
which if you don't know what those are, they're kind of like eely looking fish with the jawline of Arnold Schwarzenegger. They are such weird looking they're animals. They're pretty creepy, I have to say. Yeah, you're in Vancouver, so I feel like you've you've seen many a picture of wolf eels yeah. in your time. Also, dogfish sharks particularly like the taste of octopus, but really any shark is an octopus threat. Like anything that is bigger than the octopus could potentially eat it. So octopus really try to avoid predation by hiding in their little dens, but sometimes there's predators that will specifically seek them out in those dens, such as moray eels. They'll sort of like slink into the den and gobble up an octopus arm if they can. So octopus really have to like use their arms to like push predators out of their den. They'll snap their beak and sometimes they'll even use their little beak and like use their venomous bite to defend themselves. We'll talk a bit more about the beak later, but yeah. There are also octopus that live in tidal pools or shallow waters, and those ones can be eaten by sea and river otters and also seals. There's some really fun videos of that sort of thing. Also, as I alluded to last episode, because octopus go into that period of senescence, which is quite literally like a kind of dementia in octopi, they go into senescence at the end of their life. And during this time, octopus can end up in really weird places being eaten by things that probably wouldn't eat octopus normally. So some octopus will end up walking right out of the water onto the beach where coyotes and coastal wolves can get them, as well as any number of seabirds. And if an octopus is out in the middle of the water column, orcas and other dolphins will also take a chomp. Even if something isn't necessarily trying to eat them, octopus have defenses against animals that just, like, annoy them. So (laughs) if a non-threatening fish gets too close to an octopus den, an octopus will totally, like, just throw a jet of water at them and send the fish tumbling away. It's like this weird, um, like, super soaker defense when they're just annoyed. I read this really funny story where at the Seattle Aquarium, there was this particularly aggressive female octopus who would just always be squirting huge amounts of water at this one employee who would come and check on her aquarium's water valves at night. And this poor employee was so annoyed and thought it was, like, this personal attack. But apparently, the octopus just really hated that she would come in and shine this bright flashlight into the enclosure and octopus was just like oh stop annoying me with this bright light and just enjoyed spraying her to get them away (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh i'd be so sad if i thought an octopus didn't like me i know i would be so offended i'd be like look i'm checking your enclosure to make sure that you don't die (laughs) because the like water isn't working just be nice that's like when the crows in your neighborhood don't like you it's like i'm so sorry because you know that they know who you are (laughs) so it is very personal it really is it's not just like oh they don't like humans it's like they don't like you specifically in your face (laughs) (laughs) they're just not a fan and they remember your face and so what do octopus eat yeah so we didn't talk about octopus predation last episode But the way they eat is really interesting. So small octopus will eat a lot of like hermit crabs and tiny fish, but the larger the octopus, the larger the prey. So they can take on all kinds of fish, crustacean, eels, and there have even been reports of octopus attacking and killing seabirds, which is very frightening. 
So yeah, so some octopus are generalists, meaning that they will eat anything that they can. Others, a little bit more specialized, like the spoon arm octopus, which specializes in eating brittle stars, which are a type of deep ocean sea star. But much of the time, octopus will eat actually other mollusks. So things like shellfish, you know, like mussels and clams. And to get through the hard shell, they will have to use their teeth. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about the teeth? I feel like I'm having a very hard time picturing what octopus teeth would look like. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they lose them occasionally and the tooth fairy grabs them. (laughs) And then they get little octopus currency. Yeah, it's it's so weird. It's very strange. When I read about it, I was like, what? Do they just mean the beak? So yeah, in the center between all their legs, you'll find the octopus mouth, which has, yeah, the beak. So like imagine a parrot beak because that is really what it looks like. And then the teeth, which are also known as radula. So the teeth look a little bit like a hard and scaly tongue, like inside the beak. And that's really the best way I can describe it because it looks so strange. It's just like pokey looking and hard. So it's like one tooth kind of thing? Yeah, it's like a surface with multiple points on it, like scrapey points. Mm -hmm. Um. Like a bunch of thorns almost poking off of it. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of like not super pretty imagery. (laughs) Parrot beak, thorns, sharp objects. (laughs) Like it's not cute. Not cute. So if the octopus is eating, say, a clam, the way it'll eat it is it'll scrape against the hard shell with its radula. And if that doesn't work, it'll break through the shell by drilling a hole into the clam. And so it does this so that it can inject its venom into the clam and weaken the muscles to pry it open. That venom also helps kickstart the digestion process. So as the octopus drills that hole, it's also excreting an acid from its salivary glands that help dissolve the calcium in the shell. To make matters like all the more fascinating and to show again how intelligent octopus are, They won't just drill anywhere on the shell. They will specifically target the part of the shell right over the abductor muscles that hold the shellfish together. Or they'll, like, depending on the species, some will use the strategy of finding the thinnest part of the shell. If they're eating crabs or lobster, they usually do the drilling and the venom method first because they want to really, like, incapacitate those pinchy prey before they lose any limbs. Wow, yeah, that sounds pretty intense. Can octopus hurt humans? Are are there cases of that? Yeah, I mean, yes and also no. So there's a lot of media out there, I'm sure we've all seen it, showing octopus like squeezing people to death and behaving kind of like a giant snake that like grabs you and pulls you down. But octopus can't actually do that because their muscles don't constrict like that. They can be very strong because their suckers have a lot of strength, but they couldn't like suffocate you. They couldn't squeeze you that way. In terms of their bites, their bites have been described as pretty uncomfortable, but most octopus venom isn't going to do much worse than causing some swelling and pain, except for the venom of the blue-ringed octopus, which is really, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful octopus, but that's always how it goes. They're all colorful and pretty and they're super toxic. So these (laughs) are really small octopus that can be found in Australia all the way to Japan. They are yellow with these multi-toned blue circles all over their body. And these octopus, 
really shouldn't be messed with. Don't pick them up because they're pretty because a bite from one of them can kill a human in like 90 minutes. It's extremely dangerous. Yeah, I feel like I've seen these before where it's like people being like, oh, holding it and being like, I found this at the beach. What is this? And then everyone is like, um, don't hold that. (laughs) Don't hold it. Well, it's funny if you search. Well, it's not funny. It's bad. It's not funny, is it? It's serious. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Of people like, if you Google the blue ringed octopus, like so many of the Google image results are like people holding it in a hand. Yeah. And I'm like, don't do this. Yeah. They are really small though. They're like, the size of like a large spider or something yeah they're really tiny like some uh someone called them like the size of a golf ball like they're not that quite that small but like yeah they fit in your hand but yeah that that's all my octopus facts for today uh was that enough we went on that was probably like an hour-long episode yeah i feel like it was like a marathon of octopus facts i oh yeah everyone take a breath <laughs> octopus yeah they're like so smart They are honestly the ultimate masters of disguise. Like, why do we even talk about chameleons? They (laughs) don't hold a candle to the octopus. They are just like the sneakiest and possibly like weirdest looking creature on the planet. Like, they have eight flexible arms and some species will just like on occasion wield the stingers that they've ripped off of like extremely toxic water demons. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I just cannot believe that these things exist. Yeah, I feel bad for every other animal, including humans, that we aren't octopus. Yeah, it's so funny because, like, I feel like so often people like to say that if humans weren't the dominant species, octopus would be. And I don't agree with that, but I also, I can see it. After this episode, I feel like last episode I was like, they're so silly and they don't live very long and... That's weird. And now I'm like, oh, they they have a lot going for them. Yeah. Maybe it's good they don't live so long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's for the best. Yeah. So like I said, there's just so much more to learn about octopus. If you would like other resources, I will mention a couple. So firstly, Animal Logic has some great videos summarizing a lot of what we talked about today. Um, they also have great footage to go along with that. So if you'd like to see some excellent octopus footage, check out Animal Logic on YouTube or really just any YouTube footage of an octopus. It's really astounding what they can do. I love watching the escape videos, the Seattle Aquarium. This, If you Google like octopus escaping aquarium, you'll find this like random person uploaded this video of a giant Pacific octopus like scaling the walls of this aquarium. <laughs> and it honestly, I'm watching it and I was like, this looks like CG, like this does not look real. There's also a website called Octonation that has a plethora of information about octopus. It's really nicely organized and great for kids. So if you have any kids listening, um, they might enjoy that. And also the podcast Radio Lab has an episode called Octomom that made me cry. So go give that a listen. And lastly, I wanted to mention a book I read a number of years ago during like very early COVID. It's called The Soul of an Octopus by Cy Montgomery. It's a really lovely balance of a science book and a memoir of the author's experience volunteering at the New England Aquarium. And each chapter is about a different octopus individual that the author got to know at the aquarium. And I really, I remember really enjoying this book. So I recommend it to all those octopus fans out there. You should check that out. 
So I hope you enjoyed this two-part series on the octopus and that you go forth and watch octopus videos and marvel at how amazing they are. Wow, yeah. Thank you so much, Olivia. You collected so many amazing octopus facts and stories for us. I just feel very jazzed about the octopus and I hope our listeners feel the same. I hope so too. Thank you everyone so much for listening and coming with us on this octopus journey. (laughs) Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Blathers and check out our TikTok at Beyond underscore Blathers where Olivia does a lot of really cool content including like days in her life as a master's student and everything. And it's just great. I'm a big fan. Yeah, if anyone has a better name for that series, please let me know. <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not very catchy right now. But yeah, follow us on TikTok because we do lots of sort of like exclusive stuff on there. And of course, don't forget to take a look at our shop at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye! Bye!